I'm Leslie Manukian, president of Health Freedom Defense Fund and host of Conversations on Health Freedom, a podcast about our most sacred human right. Hi, everybody. Leslie Manukin here with Conversations on Health Freedom, and I'm so excited because today my guest is someone who's been a um, freedom advocate for a very, very long time. We've known each other for, we're figuring, at least 10 years. Um, he's an attorney. His name is Greg Glazer. He's a health freedom lawyer in California. He's been called a human vaccine encyclopedia, and I believe that's true for his work with the litigation team opposing the University of California's mandatory flu shot. Greg is the general counsel for Physicians for Informed Consent, which delivers data on infectious diseases and vaccines, and he's the lead litigator for Children's Health Defense on their lawsuit against the Los Angeles Smart City. And that is the reason that we're having him here. He's passionate about organic living and the Constitution, and you all know that that's those are some of my big interests, being on the board of the Weston A. Price Foundation and being so passionate about the Constitution and the rule of law. But the reason I wanted to have Greg here today is because he has been doing for many, many years a deep dive on essentially the surveillance state, what is happening. And in particular, he's done a deep dive on what's going on in Los Angeles and what that portends for the rest of us. So I had to share this with you. He's going to make a presentation to us. It's not going to be a normal conversation, but I think it's going to blow your mind and it's going to make you understand how important it is for us to engage on these issues. So Greg... Thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you, your friend. I'm delighted. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Leslie. Yeah, I, I think this is an important presentation. I've uh, received excellent feedback about it, although I've only given it privately. So I'm excited to share it now uh, with your audience. And you think they'll be interested to hear about how tech is the biggest game in town? <laughs> I think they will probably have an inkling about that, yeah. as I did. You know, I mean, I have that general understanding but I think they're going to be blown away at the depth and what the actual capabilities of the system already extant are. That was some of the stuff that blew my mind. Some of the stuff you talked about, like the lights in Los Angeles, the, I mean, I won't, I don't want to jump the jump ahead of you, but I think people are going to be um, enthralled by what you're saying and be very, very concerned about it. And so at the end, we should really talk about what we can do. I know you have some solutions in mind already. That's super important. So um, let me just share screen. Okay. Actually, it's not my screen. I may have to give it over to you. Let me know when I can share screen and then I'll jump right into the presentation. Yeah, the, trying, the basics, I'm, guys, for, for my presentation, don't speak to the audience, is um, my focus as a lawyer has been in health freedom, meaning protecting the rights of the unvaccinated to remain unvaccinated. So I've represented the control group of unvaccinated. Oh, great. I can share now. Yeah. Um, so I've represented the control group of unvaccinated Americans, and uh, which, which I love. And we, we did really good work, especially in the last uh, year. And I'm going to jump into presenter view. And this is a picture of the work that we published. Uh, this is a study showing the health of the unvaccinated is exponentially better than the vaccinated, uh, approximately 10 times better. That's for overall chronic illness. And what my colleagues find is that I, I really get into the science. Uh, I am super interested in what we can prove in the numerical values of people's health. 
So this is work that we presented in court documents. So, so that's my background and what brought me to this issue, which we're going to be talking about today, which is tech. The presentation is called Surveillance Technology and the Law. Leslie, do you recognize this computer? I do. One yeah. of my friends, in fact, my husband had one, Greg. Really? Yeah, I didn't know him then, but... <laughs> yeah, that would have been yeah. 1984, 85, right around there. And to show you what a noob I am, one of my friends from college, she got one. And I'm like, what would you ever need something like that for? Yeah. You, you know, there wasn't much to do on it. I'm not an early adopter. Airplane. Oh, you weren't? Uh, at, the, at the Glazer house, we were. Uh, yeah. we, we had one of these in our house. This is the Macintosh 128K. The heart of the computer was this Motorola 68,000 microprocessor, just the tiniest little thing, only 128 kilobytes of RAM. So, you know, it couldn't do much, but... But what was important at the time in the 1980s was this thing got into people's homes and that was new. Um, they were, the original cost of this computer was 666, $666. Uh, isn't that interesting? The Apple with the bite out of it, 666, right? In your home. They wanted people to bring these things home so much yeah. that they were giving them away for free. Meaning you could go to the store, get one of these and you could take it home for free just to try it out. That's how much they wanted it in your home. And it shows people were a little bit wary of this, right? It was, you know, you didn't, like, who wants a computer in their home? Well, who, and, what is a computer? I mean, what is I, a computer? I'm older than you. When I was in college, I, my first experience was a computer. It was using a dumb terminal. I actually learned oh, to code okay. in Fortran oh, nice. back in, this is like 1982 or 83. I'm coding in Fortran and we have dumb terminals. We had to go to the library and log on and then we had like a username and access, and that was how we could use it. It was a dumb terminal that accessed a mainframe, and that was the only way that we could compute. How about that? You know, and I'm 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 aging aging myself, right? You, Dating myself. <laughs> you just did. Yep. <laughs> um, the uh, so so this computer was was in people's homes, and and at the time, um, people didn't really didn't think much of it. And it's kind of like today, you know, everyone has a smartphone in their hand or in their home. People have computers in every room of their house, basically, you know, with uh, whether it's an iPad or whether it's a television set that's a smart smart device. These things are everywhere. And it's no longer one of those things that's just remote or for the future. It's for somebody else's problem. And that's going to be relevant when we talk about smart cities a little bit later. Um, you might recognize this Mac World magazine. We used to get this at the Glazer house. And uh, I just thought this was funny because it had the word Vax in it. They were referring to a virtual address extension and um, computers and vaccination have quite a crossover. Uh, they certainly have in my in my world. Um, I am one of the lawyers, one of the litigators for children's health defense. And one of the things that we track very closely is this case in it's a federal case and it's called Naperville. It's where a federal court cautioned cities not to monitor smart meters more than every 15 minutes because they can get a picture of what's going on inside the home. Leslie, if I know how often you're using your refrigerator, your stove, and so forth, if I can get the data down to the second, I can get a pretty good sense of whether you're home, whether you have guests over, what you're doing in your, in your world. And it doesn't just stop there. These smart devices are everywhere. Uh, Wi-Fi is in everyone's house. And Wi-Fi is now at such a level where your Wi-Fi can see you. 
This is what blew, this is something that blew me away. <laughs> it's it, it's it's extraordinary. So this this technology, uh, which is artificial intelligence, uh, basically what it does is it trains the Wi-Fi on what a um, of what a, uh, it's it's kind of like a dolphin using sonar. You know how a dolphin will bounce a signal off something and then it can read its area. Well, it's the same with Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi with artificial intelligence can read what's in the room. So if you have a Wi-Fi, if you have a router, if you have Wi-Fi in your house then as long as there is artificial intelligence running on the back end of that Wi-Fi, meaning at some server farm somewhere that you'll never know about, they know what's happening in your house. And this is a serious issue because uh, Wi-Fi is everywhere. And so there's spying going on, not necessarily by governments, but by those who have the servers, those who can run AI on the back end that we'll never know about. And this is just the civilian version of the technology in the year 2023, last year. And people probably want to know what are their rights, you know, with respect to, to stuff like this. Well, some of the rights that we have are, I'll give four very important rights that we have. Uh, one is that we can require government agencies to show what records they keep on us. We can require them to follow fair information practices, meaning they can only uh, keep what they need to know. They, uh, we can place restrictions on how they can share uh, that data and sell it, you know, like opt out stuff, and then we can sue them. Well, that doesn't apply to private companies, like the private companies that keep this Wi-Fi data. And that is a serious issue. The Meaning, and let's just be clear, Greg, so that people understand. So those companies are not bound by the same laws that the government is bound by because they're private actors. That's what you're saying, right? That is correct. The, the four rights that I just highlighted are under the Federal Privacy Act, which applies to the federal government. Uh, there's parallels for the apply to the state government, but those are for governments and not for private companies. Private and, and here's something that p- people need to understand too about our government is that it's strayed so far. A government or our constitution is restraint on the government. It's not a restraint on private property or private individuals. And so this is why um, those laws apply to the government, but not to a private actor. So a business or something like that. And this is one of the things where, um, our rights are not limited to those that are enumerated in the Bill of Rights. They are actually, um, you know, limitless. Mm-hmm. But what's what's happened is that our Bill of Rights, to some extension, has been turned on its head, and so now people are saying, "Well, you don't have a right to that kind of privacy. We can invade that kind of privacy." Anyway, my point is that the businesses are different, and most people don't understand that. Well, just sue them. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't sue them unless there's something that they have violated. So that's where we're going to go with this. Exactly. Uh, one of the ways that you can sue a private company if they've committed a breach is under the uh, the CCPA, um, which is the California Privacy Act in uh, in this state. But the thing is, nobody knows that and nobody exercises these rights. And this is one of the things I've learned in working for Children's Health Defense, working with other top uh, lawyers, is that the system was built to allow the invasions of privacy. Uh, as lawyers, we basically entered a rigged system and we're not going to really be able to create change, the ultimate true fundamental change until we change the structure of that system. And I'll get to the solution at the at the conclusion of the presentation. But in the meantime, let's talk more about the problem. So so here we have uh, digital ID. That's where, Leslie, they take your, as you know, they take your scan, your face scan, your eye scan, your thumbprint. That's your digital ID. And they put it onto a biometric uh, digital 
passport in a sense, digital ID, biometric ID. Well, they did this in India. They did it for their 1.3 billion people. And 60% of it got hacked in the biggest hack ever. And it shows that uh, the vulnerability to, to um, that we have when it comes to uh, when it comes to digital ID is is really intense because Leslie, if you lose your driver's license, right, you just get a new driver's license. But if you lose your biometric ID, you can't get a new thumb. You know, once your thumb is gone, once your thumbprint is hacked, it's hacked forever because it's, it's all because you only have one. And this is something, Greg. I want to I want to make sure we clarify. So you could get just a digital driver's license or a digital ID that's on your phone. What you're talking about is biometric digital ID, meaning that it takes, you know, a picture of all different aspects of you as a human being, and that is then generates your digital identification. So there can be more than one different kind of digital identification. What we're talking about now is how they're going to use your a scan of your iris and your face and your fingerprints in order to tag you. And then once that information's out, then, I mean, how do you ever fix that? You, you, you don't. And you don't retrieve it. <laughs> and one of the things I've learned is being a researcher is that many of the problems in this world, people uh, in power like the problems because they like to solve them. They like mm -hmm. to quote unquote solve them. And th this is one of these examples. The people in power like hackers. They like uh, vulnerabilities because they want to solve it. They want to offer, you know, the more secure, more cyber secure solution. And that is the danger. What does that look like? Well, it looks like surveillance cities. This is the lawsuit that we're bringing in Los Angeles against the LA smart city. Um, vaccine passports, social credit scores, so much more all coming to a progressive city near you. And LA claims to be the most advanced smart city in the nation. Uh, they're hosting the Olympic Games in 2028, which means all eyes are going to be on LA. They're going to showcase this technology, how they are um, improving everyone's life through surveillance. That's that's their pitch. So at Children's Health Defense, we are seeking all of their documents. You know, we want them to turn over their employee emails smart city contracts, accounting records, and so forth. They've produced a ton of documents, but not all of them. So we're in court right now to get to get the rest of the documents. And what we're finding is that they're just surveilling people and selling the data to third parties. And it's part of our long-term plan to uh, protect privacy, to expose what's happening, and then ultimately go with the solution, which is we need a fresh start. We need these opt-in laws that give us a fresh start. And I'll share more about that a little bit later. So LA, uh, they published their plan for total smart meter surveillance by 2028. And this is concurrent with the internet of things in your home. Uh, Leslie, do you have any smart devices in your home, like a uh, like a smart refrigerator or do you actually, let me ask a different way. Do you have any new appliances in your home? Can I tell you, um, two years ago, our washing machine broke down and I had to buy a new washer and dryer. So those are the only two appliances in our house yeah. that have that kind of technology. And I was like, well, do I have to hook this up? And they're like, no, 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 you don't have to, but I bet that they can hack it. Right. And then they can know what we're doing is what I'm guessing, but no, we don't, but you know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, someone who is very aware of these kinds of things. So I have none of this kind of stuff in my house. I don't have a, I don't use Siri on my phone. I don't have Alexa. I can't believe that 50 or 60 million Americans have taken Alexa into their home. It blows my mind. So I'm not your average consumer. Let's be clear. Yeah, sure. 
the the smart devices so so let's say you buy a new washing machine uh what it's going to do is it's going to produce a radio frequency signal right from the digital display and that will connect to the phone it'll connect to the internet so that uh in the event you need to remotely start your washer and dryer you can of course that functionality is ridiculous whoever starts their washer and dryer remotely no one the reason that they do it is spying this is purpose built all of this technology is purpose built for spying you can take off the back panel and and uh and remove the spyware but it's it's cumbersome and nobody does and the reason why this is so important is that we're living in the the agenda 2030 age the sustainable development goal age they're going to ration this stuff they're going to ration you know they want to ration water electricity and they and to do that they need this surveillance lockdown and LA is where it's at LA is the is the leading it's the hub and so we want to be on the ground to be the first to stop this technology and expose it uh, what they're doing and and it's not just LA it's it, it's not like it's just the city government doing this it's an absolute public private partnership between companies like Oracle and Amazon Amazon has a technology called Sidewalk it basically allows your Wi-Fi to run off your neighbor's Wi-Fi. So Leslie, imagine that your Wi-Fi goes out. Well, your neighbor's Wi-Fi will pick it up for you so that yours will, ne will never go out and vice versa for them. And so now that your two Wi-Fis are connected, well, guess who benefits from that? Amazon, because now Amazon gets access to all of your data. And, and so they can do this without your permission. Uh, for Sidewalk, there is actually... Uh, they they do need your consent for that at least at this time so they need your consent in order to access your neighbor's wi-fi yeah mm -hmm. and that's part of the that's part of the internet of things the for the time being <laughs> for, exactly yeah we're, we're in the rollout stage totally and uh and you know that brings me back to you know my my earlier slide you know uh re remember when it was just i was just a little dinky thing right it didn't really matter did it and now look, everyone has one of these little apples in their hand. Yeah, it just helps you write a letter. That's it. Don't worry about it. That's right. That's all it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely escalating. And here's an example of one of the undercover records that we found during our litigation. The the This is the city's top contractor. Uh, they're called Gartner. So, uh, Leslie, this is like if, if – if you were the Department of Defense, this would be like Boeing to you. It'd be like your top contractor. So this is, so Leslie, if you're a city of Los Angeles, this is Gartner, you're your top contractor. This is what your top contractor is advising you. They think it's a good idea for you to allow them to monitor 24 seven faces in your home. So that if you look dehydrated, social services will send a text message to check on you. That's how out of touch these people are. This is a this is a government record. They think it's a good idea to scan people's faces 24/7. Well, I would say it's not that they're out of touch. It shows how evil they are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it shows that um, you know, they have truly um sinister purposes that do not coincide with a free country. That's it. You know, this we're we're, we're either going down one road or the other. It's either toward freedom or toward slavery. Yeah. And, uh, so here we go back to the city's public facing message. And essentially what's happening is they're turning the city into a giant data farm. And where's this data located? Where is it centrally located? Well, that's what our litigation is designed to find out. And to sustain this massive data farm, what the city does is they they collect it from different 
nodes. And one of the main ways they do it is through street lighting. This was kind of a surprise to us when we were looking at the documents, but here's an example of a street light. Now, Leslie, if you're like me, you grew up in a cul-de-sac in a suburban town in the United States. And street light was something that went on around evening time. And that's how you knew it was dinner, right? Dinner. Well, not today. It's the world we grew up in doesn't exist anymore. These street lights are weird. They have cameras on them. They have listening devices on them. They look like they're out of a dystopian film. And the street lighting, uh, street lights have their own department at the city of Los Angeles. That's how big and important street lights are. And even the name doesn't fit because we either think, oh, they're lights and they're on the street. No, they're kind of neither. They're cameras and they're they go into your home. They point. They have a radius. So the street lights, their cameras will look inside of buildings. Their cameras have listening devices. The, the uh, microphones have listening devices that will pick up conversations. Now, back in the day, Leslie, they wouldn't have been able to do anything with this information. And, you know, there's uh, over 100 million of us but at the time, 250 million of us. They couldn't possibly process all that data. Not even close, not even a fraction of it. But today, with artificial intelligence, they can process all of it quickly. So imagine that you're having a conversation on the street with your friends and maybe a sarcastic comment is made. Well, then that can get picked up and sent to the authorities. So let me give uh, the- Or if you're own, in your own home. I mean, this is, this, you know, I think or Orwellian, the term, you know, something's Orwellian is, is probably thrown around far too much, but this truly is Orwellian. They can actually listen to what you're saying and doing in your own home. They can watch you in your own home. They can try, you know, see if your face looks dehydrated. I mean, this is crazy. This is government intrusion of an order that none of us could ever have imagined or conceived, right, at some point. And so this is just beyond anything that is belongs in a free country, in a normal you know, civilization in civil society. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. nuts. It, it, it is nuts. And, and we have the legal documents, the court, the documents produced in litigation to prove it. Uh, during litigation, we discovered these senior managers with the street lighting department. They were talking about how they're tripling their street lighting department, how they're going to monetize and they are monetizing these street lights. That means that they are taking the data, the spying data and selling it to third parties. They're monetizing it. And the people who work at the city, even they have questions and concerns about the extent of this. They know it's not right, but they cannot help themselves. They don't know how to stop it. Um, LA is known for Hollywood. Uh, the picture on the left is from a government document. The picture on the right, I added, um, just to emphasize what the city wants to do. They really wanna showcase their technology. Um, they believe that these street lights and artificial intelligence will help them prevent future crime. And on some level, they're, they're right. You know, it, it will help prevent future crime, but, but at what cost? And so we're living in a, in a minority report type of situation. Yeah. And of, and of course, let's remember that our whole system is about saying that you can't impinge on my rights in order to protect something else. Right. So it's not acceptable to try and prevent a crime by taking away my freedoms. That's mm -hmm. not okay. We don't jail people. We allow people who may have committed a crime to actually go free instead of jailing people that are innocent because we'd rather err on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. And yet everything about our culture has been turned on its head. And this is what's happening and about our rule of law.
There, yeah, we're we're so we're so out of harmony with where where things should be. I'm not sure that there ever really was a time of great harmony, but yeah, at the very least, we know that what's currently happening is not is not harmonious. And yet, there's still so much room to be encouraged because for the first time, we have social media where people are actually sharing. We're we're becoming the news now. Um, this uh, I'll close with a joke. The joke is that I'm only halfway done with my presentation. <laughs> um, uh, but on the right-hand side of the screen is a uh, a digital code of ethics. This is a document we uncovered in our litigation. This is not a public document. Um, it th This document is so good because it lays out all of uh, local residents' rights. It says you have the right not to be surveilled without your consent. You have the right to opt out of record sharing. You have all these wonderful rights in this document that the city wrote. And... The city is breaking all of these. They're breaking all of these rights, which is what we're finding and exposing in our in our case. And what was so strange to me when I read this document for the first time, this digital code of ethics, is that it's like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Someone in the ethics department said, oh, here's all of our rights. Let me write them down. And then on the left hand, you have the actual people who are surveilling and spying and all this. And they're just like, yeah, we're going to ignore all of it. So... It's and then it's another example that we have all of these wonderful rights on paper, but in reality, what actually happens? The the rights get trampled. So in order to educate the audience here on what's really at stake, I'm gonna have to discuss quantum computing. It is there's just no other way around it. I cannot talk about the world and what's happening without talking about quantum uh, quantum mechanics, quantum computing. It's it's so massive. Uh, quantum computers are not just an upgrade from classical computers. They are entirely different. They, they use entirely new algorithms. An example of how they're just fundamentally different is that things that were impossible to do before are now possible. Like Google in 2019, they have a quantum computer called Sycamore and it solved in only 200 seconds, a problem that would have taken a classical computer 10,000 years to solve. And so that means that quantum computers can hack things. They can hack uh, encrypted matters. Uh, now, that's a big deal. Uh, this is a New York Times uh, front page type uh, article. And even, even the people in the mainstream admit that this is massive. This is game changing. Uh, it's predicted that quantum computers will be able to hack the blockchain within five to 10 years. Uh, why is that important? How does that affect people's lives? Well, Leslie, if you own any Bitcoin, you don't have to tell me whether you do, but um, anyone who owns Bitcoin, anyone who has a bank, do you have a bank account? Of course you do. Uh, your bank account is encrypted, right? On the back end. Well, quantum computers will be able to hack that in about three to seven years, maybe five to 10 is what they said about two two years ago. And that's the civilian version of what they're talking about. That, that, that's what they're telling us is hackable. It's probably already hackable by quantum computers. By, and that means that all of the secrets that are in society, all of the encrypted secrets uh, will no longer be secret. That means that the, the accounts, even of the elite, their secret videos, their secret text messages, their secret bank accounts, and all of it can be hacked by quantum computers. That means panic. They are afraid. They even publish it on the New York Times, how afraid they are. They call it Q-Day. 
the day when a quantum computer hacks the system. Hackers, what is quantum? Quantum is, it, it just calculates differently. It's based on superposition. And because of that, it can exist as both zero and one and everything in between. And so it is able to access exponentially more um, information and process things like simultaneously. It's a it's another way to say parallel processor, which is kind of how our brains work. Um, so if data is the new gold, then quantum computers are the new kings uh, because a quantum computer can store, create, steal, and destroy at will. That's what a king does. And sovereign nations and others will do anything to control this technology because with it, they can control systems. And they even want to merge with it, as Noah Yuval Harari has admitted. This is a, a, a what a quantum computer looks like. Can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Is quantum, is the difference between quantum and traditional computing one of linearity? Is it that a traditional computer has to go down this, then solve this, then it can go here, then it can go there, whereas quantum can do multi-things at once? Is that the real... Is that do I understand that or do I have that wrong? That that is that is correct. It's it's a form of uh, tree logic. Um, okay. Where where the uh, uh, the quantum will have a an outcome, a suspended outcome in a quantum state, and then from that quantum state, it can project other quantum states. And so the only limit is how many of these qubits can be added, and the more of it, and the qubits are inside of this this quantum computer, suspended okay. in a cold chamber. This looks like alien or something. It's, it is very foreign. I, I think it's important for folks to know that they will if the elites get their way, then you will never own one of these. Um, this technology was not built for you. It was built for them. Um, and we'll talk about why, why that is. Uh, iPhones were built for you because they want to surveil you, but they don't want you to have this power. So the things that were impossible previously unimaginable these quantum computers do. And they were talking about it at da uh, Davos um, uh, this month where they were saying, oh, we're going to invent all these new drugs because of this new artificial intelligence technology that we have. And they're right. This stuff can predict, not only model, but it can predict uh, future applications of drugs, uh, supply chain stuff outside of drugs, the financial sector, all human-based financial analysis is going to be uh, meaningless in the future. It'll all be done by these super fast computers. Cryptography is another field that completely changes. Artificial general intelligence, that's where these machines learn to think and talk like humans. That changes. Um, the heavyweights in this area are OpenAI, which is Microsoft, and Google's DeepMind. And also Elon Musk has a company called X.ai. And these things are just, they're just super intelligent, like chat GPT, for example, scored in the top 10% for the bar exam recently. They're just, uh, and, and, and that's what they're admitting, you know, it's that civilian facing stuff. And that's part of what I want to highlight is you don't really know what's true. This is the official timeline that they tell us in the news of what, how this all came to be and what quantum is. But I tend to think they're lying. Like I got a book once from Barnes and Noble about how Google came into being. And it just seems so fake. You know, it just seems like such a lie, like such a CIA cover story for what actually happened. Anyway, this is the mainstream version of how quantum came into be. You know, it's still in its infancy. 
And to answer one of your questions about how these quantum computers work, it's it's weights and biases, which are based on input data. And what they try to do is they try to minimize the difference between the model's predictions and the actual output. And then based on the error rate, that's the uh, that's considered the, the outcome. You know, basically the smaller the error, then the better the outcome. And so the sophisticated models, they have millions or they have billions of these parameters and they're tuned through a process which is called gradient descent. And it determines which direction you go in order to decrease the, uh, the error rate. And because these quantum computers use a different form of calculation, all of the algorithms have to be rewritten. So all of our smartest guys who program computers, they have they don't know what to do with these quantum computers. So the quantum computers program themselves. That's why artificial intelligence and quantum computing go hand in hand. And these things are going to excel even further. And they tap into they're they're tapping into things that have previously been completely unexplored, like the inherent randomness of the universe. The way that classical computers handle that when they need to generate a random uh, number, for example, around, you know, they'll rely on something like the atmospheric background radiation. But here, quantum computers tap into the, basically the random structure of our universe, or at least theoretically. Um, I want to play a very short clip. This is about 30 seconds. The only thing God managed to create are organic uh, beings. All these trees and giraffes and humans, they are just organic. But we are now trying to create inorganic entities, inorganic life forms, cyborgs, artificial intelligence, and so forth. If we succeed, and there is a very good chance we will, then very soon we will be beyond the God of the Bible. That's what they want to do. They want to merge with this technology to be gods upon the earth. And this is, this is what's at stake. Uh, we've, we've reached a point in this health freedom movement where we can see now what's coming around the curve. It, it, it's kind of like uh, we, we had some practice with this, you know, and when everyone was worried about COVID in March of 2020, oh, COVID, it's this respiratory virus. We in the health freedom movement were like, yeah, right. They're doing this for a vaccine, right? When when everyone was worried about these tests, like, oh, you got to take a PCR test. We in the health freedom movement were like, you know, that's genetic surveillance, right? They're taking your DNA and the swab and they're sending it off to a laboratory. You guys realize that, right? We were always able to see around the curve, right? Well, it's the same thing with tech. You can see around the curve. You can see where this is going. These, these quantum computers are in obvious extinction event for mankind. And this technology was not made for us. Our job is to retire and die. This is this technology is to replace us. But the thing is that the powers that be, they cannot release this technology yet because they have to control us first. And the way that they're going to control us is with biometric ID. Um, what I learned is that the governments are not at the top of the food chain. It's actually private companies like Microsoft, Oracle, Accenture, because they create and own the technology. And so they're the ones who manage the data at the top. And remember, data is the new gold, and so quantum computers are the new kings. 
And the job of these governments is mostly mid-level operations. Like they, you know, issue ID, create standards. They're like the, the boots on the ground, enforce rules. But what's really happening is that the rules, the guidelines are all written by industry captured sources. NIST is a classic example in the case of biometric ID. And so what we have here is a situation where, where things are escalating and people want to know what's going to happen next. Well, if you can see beyond the curve, you can see that biometric ID is the red line. If you cross that line, it's over. Although basically the, the health freedom movement loses if we ever get biometric ID. The people who can- Well, I'd say humanity loses if we ever get biometric ID, but yeah. yes. Right. I mean, it's game over for all of us, right? We would be full on slaves at that point. Yeah. And, and the, the, the reason that I came to that conclusion that biometric ID is the, is the bright red line is I just did a game theory analysis. Like it's, it really is like chess and you just look for what does, what does Klaus Schwab or the people who control Klaus Schwab, like, what do they need from me? You know, they, they don't need my, like, they certainly don't want my vote because I'm not voting for them. Uh, they don't need my money. They're already totally rich. They need my subservience. And so the things that they're afraid of are me voting. They're afraid of me having any voice, any local governance, really, any local police power that I have, especially if I team up with people in my area who are like me, they really dislike that. So they need fully rigged elections and they need to remove the police power. Well, how do they do that? They are going to need biometric ID. It's the only way. Uh, and so- Greg, do you- Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Finish that thought. Uh, the, the people in power, they created the problem in order to offer the solution. Please go ahead. It's I think one of the things that we've been seeing is, you know, sending in peacekeeping forces, UN forces, all these kinds of things. Do you know that during the trucker um, convoy in Canada, planefuls of um, military, like pseudo military units landed in Canada when it was illegal for anybody to go in or out of Canada without a vaccine. They landed in Canada and deployed. And who were these people? They were military units from some other country. They didn't speak English. They were um, unknown. And my point is that this is what they want to do, right? So they want to bring in people who have no loyalty to the local people. So a, a peace officer is what police officers have been known as historically. They want to bring in someone who doesn't care about the neighborhood, doesn't care, doesn't, isn't friends with anybody, isn't Uncle Bob or somebody's aunt or whatever, or uncle, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. And, and we were already seeing it happen. It's already happened in Canada where they're bringing in these people with no loyalty. Mm -hmm. And the next iteration of that is to have some kind of robots or something that actually has no human emotion and no capacity to actually have any compassion. That's where I think um, this is the natural extension of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it. Uh, the technology removes us from our humanity and it removes us from our families and community. Mm -hmm. And the the reason why Klaus Schwab and his ilk need that is because they are deathly afraid of local police power. Um, they. They, they will do things, they will create problems in order to solve them. So for example, the illegal invasion happening right now at our southern border of the United States, we're being invaded as a country. And they call it immigration is the word they call it, but it's, it's clearly an invasion. And the, um, 
the Klaus Schwabs, they love it. They they orchestrated the problem because they know how we're going to react. We're going to be outraged, and rightfully so. And we're going to call for deportations, rightfully so. But that's the problem. Problem did you, is that the deportation. Did you see, yeah, did you see what came out in the last hour or two? You know how Texas has been trying to protect the border because the federal government won't do it. And so they put up razor wire. Yeah. There's a case making its way through the courts. The Supreme Court just issued a ruling five to four that Texas cannot keep its razor wire, that the federal government can take it down. Because you know why? Because it prevents. This just shows you how twisted these people are and twisted. Everything that's happening in our country and world is right now because the razor wire prevents the border and um, border patrol people from actually doing their job and policing the border, which they're not policing in the first place. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's not permanent. It's while the case makes it through way through the courts, but I mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the invasion has, has uh, infiltrated even the Supreme court. Yeah. Uh, that's and So these institutions of power, are what need to be completely overhauled. And we just cannot trust our Congress. We cannot trust the Supreme Court. And we cannot obviously not trust the executive department at this time. And so with the, when these institutions fail, where do we look? Well, we look to local power. You know, we look to uh, Attorney General Paxton, for example, in Texas, you know, who stood up here and did the right thing. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take the reins. I'm gonna put up this, this border. And so that's the thing that the globalists don't want us to have. They don't want us to have local power. Yeah. And so these, these crises are manufactured in or, always in order to remove local power because the natural thing that we'll do is we will try to deport people. And in order to deport people, you have to identify them. And the system will say, oh, don't worry. We'll take care of that for you. We're the experts at identity. We're going to give you digital ID. And it's, it'll be the most secure, it'll be the most accurate form of identification. And so in that sense, we're being set up. And so until we learn as people not to get the solution from those who caused the problem, until we learn that, we're just going to keep getting more of the Hegelian dialectic. And that's what happens next, which is the answer to the question. So these, these quantum computers, they're an obvious extinction event. They accelerate transhumanism exponentially. It's what this whole thing has always been about. The sovereign bloodlines. They want to be gods upon the earth. Noah Yuval Harari admitted it. And there are major propaganda pieces that are moving all throughout society that try to pit one group against another. The one that I find the worst is the generational stuff um, from a tech perspective. It's that, Liz, you're probably like me. You're from Gen X, right? I'm I'm going to be 60 this month. <laughs> About that. Um, well, the, uh, my generation, the Gen X, the Gen Xers, we are, um, we tend to be blamey. Like we tend to blame the boomers for selling us out to debt, environmental stuff. And it's the same with um, the generation younger than us, the Gen Zs. They tend to blame the Gen Xers for selling them out to tech surveillance. And they're kind, and they're, and they're right, you know, in a sense. Yeah, I guess I am a Gen Xer. I'm like on the edge. I'm on the between the two. Yeah, yeah, anyway. right. Yeah, 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 I was wondering that. Like, what's the where? Where's the line? Um, and I think what's going to happen is that we're going to see more propaganda come out that tries to portray the Gen Xers as sick and diseased, 
and the Gen Z's is being cool, healthy, transhumanist, you know, superpowers. You're like Marvel. Yeah. You're like, awesome. You know, the Gen, the Gen Xers, they don't get you, you know, it's, ah, you know, and so we, we got to learn this. Like we, we got to learn to come together in, across generations. And so, um, so, so that's really important. As, as much as it's it's easy to get outraged about all the stuff that's going on, all the problems in the world, but got to remember who created the problems. They also created the, sol- the quote unquote solutions. And so the key is to get outside of the Hegelian dialectic. And, and what's at stake? You know, they want to turn us into computers. Transhumanism is clearly the end game. Uh, this is from a published uh, scientific paper. Biometric ID is its Achilles heel. We take out that, we take out all of it. And the reason I know this is from reading patents. Um, everything that we do today, essentially, and any significant power we have, like the right to buy and sell and our citizenship status and privileges, accounts, land title, all of it depends on, on ID. You can't do any of that. Like you can't open a bank account or even use your accounts without identification. And so controlling people means controlling ID. It's the one thing. It's the bright red line. And if we lose it, then we're going to be merged. And so it's really important that folks understand that if there's one thing that they should focus on in the movement, you know, to resist, it's biometric ID. Don't get it. Tell everyone you know not to get biometric Greg, when you say merged, let's just be, let's clarify for people what you mean by that, that you are the merchandise, you're the product, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's just easy. want to make sure everybody understood that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, they're it's a slow process. Like they put a phone in your hand, you know, they'll put a Fitbit on you and then pretty soon, you know, it's a tattoo and, and the future looks kind of cheap. You know, you know, the, the dystopian films that looked all glitzy with flying cars and everything's all clean. I don't think that's ours. I think that ours is more of like a shanty towns, surveillance towers, kind of like a prison dirty. Well, when I was a kid, it was the Jetsons, right? How cool. I'm going to touch a screen on the wall and it's going to do this and that. I can talk to my mom or whatever. It's going to be so cool. Then there's that, what's it called? Oh my gosh, it came out a few years ago. It's an amazing book, something writer. And it's about this kid. They live in a, in a just, I mean, it's a hellhole what they live in, but they all participate in virtual reality and they play games through there. What's it called? Ready Player One. Oh yeah. Have you seen it? No. Oh, Greg. It's everything is a shanty town, but the technology is so unbelievably f- sophisticated. It's incredible. It's exactly what you're describing. That's that, in, which is what I'm observing in my uh, document review in, litig- in litigation. It's I people see live the stacked. They live live stacked on top of each other in these horrible shanties with just garbage. It's terrible wreckage. Like it's like they live in a junkyard. And right next to them, there's this million dollar surveillance technology. And, and they all have this technology where they have their virtual goggles that they wear to basically escape the crap that they live in. Yeah. That sounds just like where LA is going. Yes. The, and our predecessors told us about this. The guys who came 20 years before us, they said they thought it was going to be RFID tracking. But as it turns out, it's more likely to be tattoos. Um, this is what I found out reading patents again. Uh, vaccine passports, they were a test run for global biometric ID. Uh Gates, the Gates Foundation. Uh, this was reported by Gates in uh, an Instagram post. He said that the technology is in a very early stage of development, but it has all the ten- potential to replace today's smartphones. The idea is you'll own nothing. You know that the information will be in the cloud. You'll have your tattoo. 
and you know you use your tattoo to access uh, information that's in uh, in the cloud and and these tattoos are very important because they don't want to have the doctors they don't want to have the healthcare system be the intermediaries for this because a lot of those people are waking up so they want to mail you your tattoo you know you can self-apply it and then uh yeah so this technology has come it's coming this decade uh this is the patent it's for an undisclosed vaccine so whatever the next one is it's coming and i did promise the audience a joke so i will i will give the joke the joke is that unless you think freely your thinking is already artificial and that and so we we really need to step out we really need to find a way to think freely and debate and be present with with one another and engage in a very dynamic way of questioning things you know you can tell when someone has a fire within their within their spirit and they are they're they're teaching and learning at the same time and they're engaged and sometimes they're wrong and that's okay with their learning you know that is the human experience that we are supposed to engage with we are not supposed to be robots i am finding a ton of information on the coolest place on the internet in my opinion it is called gab.com and i encourage people uh, if they don't already have an account check it out you'll find some serious truth over at gab and that's my presentation. What do you think? Um, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's absolutely fantastically eye-opening in a very terrifying way. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, when I first saw it last week, it is terrifying. But the thing is, you know, if you don't know the enemy, you can't actually prepare to deal with the enemy. And so that brings me to perhaps the most important question of all, which is we are staring down the barrel of this dystopian nightmare what do we do about it, Greg? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there are two things in particular that we should do. The first is don't get the digital ID. Just don't get it. Don't comply. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the second is uh, is parallel economy. And, and the parallel economy is where we are paying with cash, uh, starting our own organic farms, starting our own businesses, and acting and purchasing and selling locally and doing so with traditional ID and in that parallel economy will thrive. And I think that what people really understand is that a good standard of living doesn't need massive infrastructure. It's actually quite simple. The things that we like are the same things that our ancestors liked. We are not that complicated. You know, we want family, we want good food, we want shelter. And we, we like to do things like tell stories and have songs and read books. And, you know, we, we, we don't really need that much, yeah. and, uh, which, is, which is really encouraging. So we can, we can get back to a lot of that. And, and that's going to happen inevitably as society is splitting into two, essentially two factions. There's going to be those people who are just totally all in, who are like all in on smart cities and tech. And, you know, they're just kind of hopeless, you know, that for them, they, they can't wait to get the next booster. But then there's going to be people who are going the other direction toward the toward the uh, economy, and, and it'll be a necessary thing. It's not like they're going to wake up one morning and go, "I want to raise chickens," you know, or or I want to you know start my own lumber mill. You know, they're going to do it because they had to, because for whatever reason they got. But I think some people do wake up, and I have to say, so I'd love to chime in here. So first of all, on your first point about not getting the digital ID. 
real ID. This is a digital ID as well. You don't have to get it. It's not mandatory. They want you to think it's mandatory, but if you go into the DMV and say, I don't want it, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. And you can actually travel with your passport. You do not need the real ID. Don't comply. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I want to say. Um, Secondly, um, you know, I think that people are going to go along with, with, I think a lot of people will just wake up and say, you know what? I don't want this world. Um, and I think that they will just say, I'm going to start raising chickens. I think that will happen. <laughs> I do, because I think people, there's a, you know, they have an innate sense on some level of what's important and what matters. And it's not this crap that they're pushing on us, right? So that's one thing. But in the um, conversation and presentation that we had last week um, that I participated in with you, you talked about laws as well. Opt-in, Opt-in laws. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because yeah, we are... Um, I'm going to have Greg come to Idaho or actually not come to Idaho, but zoom into Idaho or teleconference or whatever into Idaho and um, give a presentation in the last, in this presentation in the next couple of months and talk about what we can do legislatively to try and preempt the power grab that's happening. So could you just address that real quickly? What you think is, um, you know, appropriate to try and handle this, this problem that we face? Yeah. Uh, so the, the problem we face is that we don't know where our data is. Uh, maybe we took a blood test and it ended up in a lab and now someone has our DNA. Uh, maybe we checked the box four years ago when we signed up for a Google account. And now we have no idea who has our emails, our likeness, our, phone, our face and all this. We have no idea what AI is running on the back end. So that's the problem. What's what's the solution? Solution is opt-in. Uh, opt-in laws are, uh, they come in two forms. One is the canned variety produced by industry. They're like, oh yeah, as long as you check the box, then you have opted in to whatever we want to do. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about legit opt-in laws that guys like me draft. I know what Microsoft is afraid of. I know exactly what they're afraid of. They're afraid of plaintiffs, lawyers, class action lawyers who sue them for holding data that they're not supposed to hold. So, An example of a very good opt-in law specifies that unless the consumer has opted in to data collection on a routine basis, like every year or so forth, then the company, the Microsoft, is not allowed to hold that data. Microsoft's terrified of that. They want want you to check a box once and then they own your data for for life. What they don't want is they don't want a guy like me to write a law that says Microsoft cannot have any of your data unless you have specifically opted into Microsoft's data collection in the future, by the way, in the future. And, and they have to tell you how they're using it. And you have to opt in regularly so that you don't have to like opt out, meaning, meaning that um, meaning that you get a fresh start, which is what we all want. So it, wouldn't it be great if there was some future day some future day, let's call it in 2027, where every everyone who has your data has to contact you and say, we have your data. We would like to use it, but we can only do so with your permission. And unless we get your permission, we're going to destroy it. And if that company fails to contact you, then you can sue them and get a special set amount of money per day, $1,000 per day or $5,000 per day for every violation. Well, that means that hackers who are able to find out that information and get that information or just computer scientists 
who are able to find out that information can serve trial lawyers. And that would make essentially millionaires out of many people, out of many regular Americans whose data has been wrongfully withheld. That What I just described, opt-in laws, would absolutely change the country for the better. What about the government holding this data as well? Well, Maybe the we need a private right of action to sue the government for holding this data. Yeah, well, the, the government's already only allowed to hold data that they uh, that they need. They, they can only have data that they need to know. So the government, for example, doesn't need to know what your uh, your laundry machine is doing. They have no need whatsoever. But what they do need is they do need a copy of your face if you have a government issued ID. Mm-hmm. So, like your driver's license, for example, or just a fo- just a photograph. So the uh, so so there would be some exceptions for government holding data, but fortunately we already have pretty good laws for the um, uh, for what are called fair information practices. But the the main the main offenders though are these are these companies that process the data. But and Greg, when you just fly into the country in a bunch of airports, they just automatically take your face scan nowadays. Right. And what they're supposed to do, according to the TSA, is they are supposed to uh, destroy that information immediately, but no later than two years. And they claim they do, according to the TSA. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe it either. Yeah, I think think they're lying. I I think what they do is they put it on a server, and then they make a copy of the server, and and then, quote unquote, de-identify it. And then they destroy the original. They say, oh, we destroyed it. But they kept the copy in what's called a de-identified copy, and then they use it for their own purposes, which they can then re-identify yeah. using artificial intelligence. Oh, they know. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, Greg. Yeah. Um, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say that opt-in laws are are part of this great future. And we never would have been able to pass these before, you know, but I think that there's been a great awakening of people and conservative legislators all over the country are now open-minded to listening to these, these matters. Yeah. We have a few huge freedom caucus in Idaho and it's only becoming more powerful. So I'm very hopeful that places like Idaho can pass legislation like this to protect us. Me too. Um, Otherwise it's game over. (laughs) And I don't mean to be a doomsdayer, but I just think that it's, you know, we're facing something that is really unthinkable to most of us. And, um, I know that the perception that most people, most of our followers have um, had over the last four years has shifted, right? If you'd asked people five years ago, even people who knew me and knew of my work, they would have never had any idea that what has happened in the last four years could have been possible. And now many of them are awake to it, but they also are awake that there's much more coming. And so I just encourage all of you guys to engage more. And um, Greg has written a bill which I don't know if you're publicly, will you, you know, are you, are you posting that anywhere? Can we post it on our website? Can it be used by people who want to, or people can contact us? You can contact us at info at healthfreedomdefense.org. Yeah. Um, and, um, and we'll send it to you. Is that okay? Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, so listen, folks, well, first of all, Greg, is there anything that you want to say, your final closing comments? I'm going to express gratitude because Leslie, you've been an amazing activist and winner. I've noticed that you have a winning energy. And, and I think that you are well positioned to share what are solutions in society, uh, solutions that are organic, uh, solutions that protect the environment, solutions that promote not just health freedom, but health harmony. And so 
thank you for being a leading voice. You're very sweet, Greg. Um, Back at you. Thank you for all that you do. I mean, you've been in this for many, many years, as I mentioned, and I'm super grateful to know you and for all the work that you've you've done and for sharing this really um, insightful um, presentation about what's going on. I want to just say as well that it's very easy to get very down and to feel helpless um, facing all that we faced. But let's be very clear that if the elite had it their way, we would already all be tattooed. Yeah. We would already all be wearing masks all day, every day. We would have vaccine passports. We would have no freedom. We would not have had the wins that we've had in the last three years. And so don't give up hope. Stay positive. Stay engaged. Engage locally. Because you know what? Together, we can make a difference, and we will, and we already have. And we're going to do much more of that over the next five to 10 years. And we're going to change this and make it a much better place for our children and our grandchildren. Totally. So, Greg, thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing this incredibly valuable information. I'm really grateful. Thank you. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to Conversations on Health Freedom. Please follow us at healthfreedomdefense.org where you can become a member, subscribe to our newsletter, donate to our cause, and follow us on social media.